Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 11, first starts at verse 37. That's Luke 11. And if you want to read along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1030, 1030, 1030 in the Pew Bible. So again, beginning in Luke 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Now one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load down people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you built the tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that have been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law! because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Shohua 
。如今，你们法利赛人洗净杯盘的外面，你们里面却满了勒索和邪恶。无知的人呐、啊，造外面的不也造里面吗？只要把里面的施舍给人，凡物于你们就都洁净了。你们法利赛人有祸了，因为你们将薄荷、云香等呃，并各样菜蔬献上十分之一，那公义和爱神的事反倒不行了。这原是你们当行的，那也是不可不行的。Forty three, forty three。那呃，你们法利赛人有祸了。因为你们喜爱会堂里的守卫，又喜爱人在监视上问你们的安。Forty four， 你们有祸了，因为你们如同不显露的坟墓，走在上面的人并不知道。Forty five， 律法师中有一个回答耶稣说：“夫子，你这样说也把我们糟蹋了。”耶稣说：“你们律法师也有祸了，因为你们把难担的担子放在人身上，自己一个指头却不肯动。你们有祸了，因为你们修造先知的坟墓，那先知正是你们的祖宗所杀的。可见你们祖宗所做的事，你们又证明又喜欢，因为他们杀了先知，你们修造先知的坟墓。”所以神用智慧曾说：“我要差遣先知和使徒到他们那里去，有的他们要杀害，有的他们要逼迫，使创世以来所流众先知血的罪，都要问在都要问在这世代的人身上，就是从亚伯的血起，直到被杀在弹劾殿中间。”撒加利亚的血为止，我实在告诉你们，这都要问在这世人的身上。你们律法师有祸了，因为你们把知识的钥匙夺了去，自己不进去，正要进去的人，你们也阻挡他们。耶稣从那里出来，文士和法利赛人就极力催逼他，引动他多说话。私下窥听，要拿他的画饼。The end。En onderwijl hij bezig was om te spreken, heeft de zekere fariseer hem uitgenooi om bij hem te komen eet, en hij is ingekomen en aan tafel gegaan. En toen hij de fariseer had gezien, heeft hij hem verwonderd dat hij niet voor die maaltijd eerst gewassen had. Maar die Heere sê vir hom, Ja, jylle fariseers, jylle maak die buitenkant van die beker en die bord skoon, maar van binnenaf is jylle vol roof en boosheid. Onverstandig is, het hy wat die buitenkant gemaakt het nie die binnenkant ook gemaakt nie? Maar gee wat daarin is, as almoes, en dan is alles vir jylle rein. Maar wee jylle fariseers, want jylle gee tiendes van die kruisement en die wijnruid en elke groentesoort, En jylle verwaarloos die reg en die liefde tot God. 
Hierdie dinge behoort jylle te doen, sonder om aan die ander na te dink. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm pretty sure some of you are going, well, that was an interesting experience right there. I've got to tell you, it was an interesting experience for me. Uh, you know, last week I, I shared and I spoke to my fellow compatriots, uh, and somebody else said, oh, it sounded like we were speaking in tongues in church on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I have been told that we will speak Afrikaans in heaven, um, but I'm not sure how correct that is, so please don't, you know, hold me according to that. Uh, but it was pretty interesting, kind of listening out there, because I would think for most of us, the first passage read in English, uh, I, I would say the overwhelming majority of us probably understood that, and, and that was fine and well. Uh, and then the second passage uh, in Mandarin was was maybe a little less easy for some of us to follow. Uh, and for others, you're going kind of, no, no, that was my first language. That was super simple. In fact, if we had more of that, it would be awesome. Uh, and then there was the last language, which was the heavenly language of Afrikaans. Uh, and it was interesting hearing and being able to realize, hey, I understand that. Uh, even though it sounds so foreign and so weird, kind of I understand it. Uh, and, and so if you are visiting with us this morning and you're wondering, well, this is unique, you know, do you do this every week? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, no, we don't. We're, we're, you know, we're just doing this today uh, because this past weekend is the, was the celebration of the Lunar New Year. And last year we had a whole big Lunar New Year celebration, had heaps of fun, had a whole bunch of kids doing performances and, and all sorts but in the midst of doing that, uh, we realized, as you heard Jennifer say right at the beginning, that across this congregation, there are people from literally all over the world. Uh, and in fact, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm quite curious myself right now. Uh, if you were not born in Canada, would you stand up? So if you were not born in Canada, would you stand up? Uh, and right there. You know, we have, absolutely, we've got people from all over the world. You guys can, you guys can take a seat. Uh, we are a diverse group of people from literally all over the world. Uh, Ferris read from Revelations right at the beginning of the service. And let me read for, uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 for you again, because this is a glimpse into heaven. This is a glimpse into when we're in glory with Jesus Christ. And John, uh, who has this vision in the book of Revelation, records it. And he says in Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it's that reminder for us that no one culture is superior to another. No one people group is better than another. Uh, we are united in Christ. And there's going to come a time where we're going to be in this vast crowd of people who look remarkably different to us. But because we're united in Christ, we will worship together. 
And so for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it fires me up. It gets me excited when I look into a congregation like this and see people from all over the world. And I know that it's challenging. You know, I know uh, people often, because they come from different parts of the world, uh, do things differently. And, and I'm so thankful that this church extends grace. After all, you've been doing it to me for three and a half years uh, as this weird South African kind of lives and moves in your midst. But it's this awesome picture. And of course, as we consider and as we contemplate cultures and differences and the variances between us, we're reminded that it's our sinfulness, it's our pride, it's our selfishness that gets in the way. And that causes the divisions and causes the problems. And often because of our pride, we look at others, those who are different to us, and we judge them and we condemn them because we think we're better. And as I often say to my kids at home, to each their own. We're all different. We all come from different backgrounds, different upbringings. For some, that's completely normal. and others, it's abnormal. And I love that God often puts those two together, sometimes even in the same marriage, as it's an opportunity to grow. Now, as we've been journeying through the book of Luke, if you're visiting with us again today, uh, we've been going through Luke over the last couple of months. And I love the way God moves and the way God works. Because when we planned out this cultural day, in my brain, I hadn't fully thought through what we're going to be preaching on because it was so far ahead. And I knew it was somewhere in Luke and I knew we would kind of figure it out. And you know what? God is so much bigger than me and he just plans things ahead of time. And I'm so grateful for that. Because today's passage is relevant for us as we contemplate the differences between us, as we contemplate our cultural backgrounds, as we contemplate who we are and how we live and do life with those around us. And that's that passage we just read in Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to dive into it in a few moments. By way of introduction, there's a silly story. I'm not 100% convinced it's true, uh, but there's a silly story told of a zoo that had uh, this wide array of animals uh, and just kind of almost had every single animal imaginable in the zoo. Uh, and one day tragedy stuck, uh, struck and the gorilla died. And of course the, the zookeeper was kind of panicked about what we're going to do because we don't want to lose people and we need to keep up the appearances. So he got one of the new groundskeepers and he said, look, just I'm going to put you in a gorilla suit, you just go be a gorilla and we'll sort it out. And so the guy, of course, he doesn't want to lose his job, so he puts his gorilla suit on and he goes out into the gorilla enclosure. And he doesn't know how to act like a gorilla. It's his first day trying to do this. And of course, he tries and he's trying to act like a gorilla and sort of jumping around and eventually gets into the spirit of being a gorilla. You know, and he's beating his chest and he's... And he gets a little too close to the edge, the fence railing, and and he kind of jumps up on it and crashes over into it. and, And he falls into the lion enclosure next to him. And of course, he thinks, oh dear Lord, my life is over. So he starts panicking and he starts shouting, help, help, I'm going to die, help. And the lion comes bounding over to him. And as the lion gets to him, the lion says, shut up, otherwise you're going to get us both fired. (laughs) I know, it's a silly story. So thank you for laughing so politely. But I think it captures something. It captures a deep truth. Something that is real outside of the zoo. It it captures the need to act to satisfy the expectations of others. It captures the need to act because we don't really know who we are 
and whose we are. It captures the need to act because in truth, everyone around us seems to be acting as well. And so we go along with the flow and we act in turn. And this is the passage, this is the encounter that Jesus has that we read in Luke this morning. As Jesus confronts this dynamic. And yes, we may have read a passage of scripture that's a little longer than usual, but it's one that is a very focused exchange. Today's exchange happens around a meal, as so many good exchanges do, but this is anything other than a light dinner conversation. In fact, any degree of imagination can feel the intensity and, and feel the awkwardness as Jesus speaks with intensity and a profound sharpness. Imagine being one of the guests at that dinner table. Maybe imagine being one of Jesus' disciples. You're with Jesus and kind of this happens. I don't know about you, but I would probably kind of duck my head, trying to avoid eye contact, because this is just super awkward. Maybe even play with the food on my plate, because I don't know where he's going with this. And, and, and well, this is like hurting some people right here. One might feel a little put off, thinking maybe Jesus is getting too harsh. After all, who invites someone to a meal? And, oh, sorry, if someone invites you to a meal, uh, who responds like that? Who then lambastes the host and attacks them and accuses them? You don't treat a host like that. Or, as we engage with this, we might even feel impressed. There's something powerful here. There's, there's strength in the straightforward confrontation. Some of us might even find ourselves cheering. And because somebody who has abused their power is being confronted and being called out. And maybe for some of us, that cheer comes from a deep place. Because we understand what it's like to have been hurt by someone in a position of authority. Someone who abuses their power over us. And particularly someone in a spiritual role. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis says, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. And if you've ever had experience of somebody abusing their spiritual power, you know the hurts and, and you know the form of evil that takes place when people abuse that role. And so Jesus confronts that. And while we might read this passage and we might go, Amen, uh, this morning I want you to maybe look a little differently. And maybe as you engage with this passage, uh, instead of an Amen, maybe there needs to be an Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because maybe, whether we like to admit it or not, we find some similarity with these Pharisees and with these scribes. We might find that we have more in common with them than what we wish to admit. And so let us allow Jesus to speak to us, even as he rebukes the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, of course, for some of us, it might be confusing or, or maybe surprising. Let me put it that way. It might be surprising that a Pharisee invites Jesus to a meal. Uh, the Pharisees were a part of a religious group, the religious leaders, who seemed to be in constant confrontation with Jesus. They were the primary teachers of the law. They were those who were committed to keeping people with God. And, and along with the Pharisees are the scribes or the lawyers. Now, they're not lawyers as we understand lawyers in today's language. The scribes or the lawyers were those who were responsible for the academic study of God's law. 
And so together the Pharisees and the scribes were responsible for keeping rule and order in a line with God's word. They would try and teach people to apply and live in a certain way to be right with God. And so these leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they have this mutual arrangement with the Roman rule. And it gives them this control and this comfort that they served, or that, sorry, served them. And of course they understand if Jesus stirs up the people, well they could lose that comfort. And so maybe as we contemplate, why would a Pharisee invite Jesus over to a meal? It's best understood by that expression, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They know that Jesus is coming against them and everything they stand for. And so the best way to figure out is to keep Jesus close. So they can hear what he's saying and watch what he's doing. Keeping in contact. And so the Pharisee may have tried to play the nice guy role and he's invited Jesus for a meal. But there comes a point where his religious nature comes out. It says he noticed that Jesus didn't wash. I could imagine maybe even an audible gasp that Jesus would simply come in and not wash. Now, for many of us, we might miss the reference here. For many of us, we are deeply concerned about hygiene. I don't want to catch whatever it is you've got. And so I keep my hand sanitizer close. And I keep my wash. And I keep care of all that sort of stuff because I don't want to pick up anything. That's not at all what's going on here. This isn't about hygiene. It's about being religiously clean. It's about being clean before God by following certain religious rules and orders. The interesting thing is this ritual was not commanded by the word of God. It's not even a ceremonial law in the Old Testament. It's an extension. It's an application, if you will, that the Pharisees and the scribes have developed And if you want to be kind of true to it, the Pharisees have set their own ideal and their own standard of holiness. And the Pharisee is shocked that Jesus is not participating in this. That Jesus isn't participating in ritual cleansing. And the problem, as Jesus confronts, is they didn't really care about holiness. Because holiness is not an external thing. Holiness involves the state of the heart. Something that emanates from the heart, a changed heart. And it's something they couldn't grasp, so Jesus brings the truth to bear. Jesus is the plumb line against which every structure is measured. And we see that in Jesus. He's setting forth a new center. He's drawing people far and wide and at the same time challenging everyone. And so Jesus begins by setting forth the underlying problem, the heart of the issue, if you will. And he says to the Pharisee, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And he speaks of how they seem to think that, well, if they clean the outside, they can leave the inside dirty and that doesn't matter. And it's a gross picture of dishes if you think about it. It's unpleasant and it certainly can be unpleasant to realize about ourselves That the heart of the issue is, in fact, the heart. It's the inner rightness with God. It's not the external display. It's not the external show. It's not that our behaviors don't matter. It is that true goodness, true righteousness comes from within us. And the main thing that Jesus says to the Pharisees and to the lawyers is that they were hypocrites. 
They cared a great deal more about the externals than the internal. In fact, John Hamby has this to say. John Hamby says, Jesus' problem with the Pharisees was that they were more concerned with form than with substance. More concerned about appearance than reality. The Pharisees were concerned only with what a man did. Jesus was concerned with what a man was. That's what Pharisees concern themselves with, is what you do. Jesus goes, no, what you do is inconsequential. It's who you are that matters and that counts. And this is the essence of hypocrisy. And it's hypocrisy that we need to deal with and react to today. And we would do well to understand that Jesus confronts this on a far deeper level. And as we read his interaction with the Pharisees and the scribes, so we read his words to us. You know, the Greek word for hypocrite is, has pretty much been carried straight into English as hypocrite. Almost, not quite, but almost letter for letter. Uh, the word uh, for hypocrite is also the same word that the Greeks used for an actor. You know, hypocrisy reflects the nature of acting or of performance. Back in those days, when an actor took the stage or took a role, the actor would wear a literal mask so that you couldn't tell who that person was because they weren't that person. They were someone different. This is what true acting is. It's wearing a mask so that you don't know who the person is. The mask hides what you are like or who you are, and that's what all good acting is. Acting is a gift. But hypocrisy, not realizing that you are acting, is not. And so Jesus confronts this nature of human life that is hiding from its true condition. Hypocrisy is not that we aren't perfect. That's not the goal here. Hypocrisy is that we don't realize who we are and whose we are. And that's the issue of religious hypocrisy. It's one that's alive and well in our world today, 2,000 years after Jesus has this conversation. Hypocrites. And we might know some hypocrites around us. I love it when somebody says to me, you know, I don't, I don't really like going to church. I don't want to be a part of church because there's too many hypocrites there. And I say to them, you're always welcome. We've always got room for one more. <laughs> there are hypocrites all through life because we are all hypocrites. And so Jesus holds a recovery meeting, an intervention, if you will. And so he responds to this general complaint about the Pharisees, and then he issues a series of woes. Now, the word woe is not a stinging rebuke. It's more an expression of grief. It's an expression of regret. And so these woes that Jesus addresses to the Pharisees, he addresses their wrong priorities. If you want to, you can make a note of Matthew 23 and have a look at how they parallel to Matthew 23. In his remarks first to the Pharisees and then to the scribes, he marks or he highlights six marks of a hypocrite, six symptoms, if you will. And so this morning, as we look at these six symptoms of hypocrisy, it might be that you're visiting with us this morning and maybe you don't know where you stand with Christ. Maybe you would say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, I'm just checking it out. In that case, this message is not for you. You're welcome to tell us how we're doing on this, but it's not for you. This message is for those who call Christ Lord. For those who would say, yes, I am a Christian. 
Well, then Jesus says, if you're a Christian, hold yourself against this measurement of my word to you. What are the symptoms of hypocrisy and how do we respond? The first symptom of hypocrisy is majoring in the minors. Majoring in the minors. And you could add in brackets, neglecting the major issues. And Jesus says in verse 42, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Majoring in the minors. The first thing that Jesus brings to light is how these religious leaders had become so focused on accuracy and the accuracy of what they gave, but they were neglecting the larger expressions that should <clears throat> excuse me, come with it. They were tithing, which means giving a tenth of their income, or a tenth, sorry, I've definitely got a frog in there. <clears throat> so they were giving a tenth of their resources. They were giving a tenth of their income. And it's worth noticing that Jesus commends that. He doesn't tell them they shouldn't do that. He commends it. But then he draws out that honoring God with such a form will fail if what's done with the rest of one's resources don't line up. What Jesus is saying, he's confronting those who look at their resources and go, well, either this is all mine. Jesus goes, no, it's not. At the same time, Jesus is confronting those who would go, okay, yeah, sure, 10% is God's, and I'll give that 10% to God, but everything else is mine, and I'll do what I need to and what I want to with that. And Jesus goes, no, everything you have is mine. And so it's not just about giving a little bit and then neglecting. It's about ensuring that what you do with all of your resources line up. To what God calls from us and what God expects from us. And so the weightier issues of life, not just tithing, but issues of love, issues of, issues of justice, of giving. And so the, the more general problem is getting too legalistic about certain aspects while neglecting others. I mean, can you imagine the picture? There's somebody literally counting out their spice seeds to make sure they give just 10%. Well, you and I would look at a person like that and go, I think you've maybe missed something. I, I think you're focusing too much on the minors. You're harping on on those little things. And, and by doing so, you might be getting an inward sense of pride and maybe some security in that little practice. But you're not in line with what God is calling you into. And so we too can become legalistic when we become single issue people. That manifests in various churches, in various religious circles around the world, where people get you know, hung up on, it's this particular version of the Bible, or it's, it's this view of the end times, or it's this view of how you raise your children and what school you send them to. And the problem in majoring in those minors is we lose perspective on larger matters. We judge people by something secondary, while losing a sense of that common grace that we all need. And so Jesus says, look, you're fixated on these little things. It's not that you shouldn't do them. But while you fixate, you neglect the really big things. Why would the Pharisees or any of us tend to do that? 
Because sometimes it's just a whole lot easier. If I focus on my little 10% and I harp on that, I can be in control of that. I know that where I measure up according to others. And Jesus says you harp on that and you forget the rest. Majoring on minors. Another symptom of hypocrisy that Jesus describes is caring more about what others see than what God sees. Caring more about what others see than what God sees. Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. In the synagogue, the Pharisees had the seats of importance. It was right up front. Now I know here we don't really have that struggle. These seats are always open. I don't know if you think I'm going to bite or something. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, But for the Pharisees, these were the seats of honor. This is where you wanted to say. In fact, it was a little different because the seats up front turned and faced the congregation. And so the Pharisees wanted to be there. Now, I promise I won't turn the front rows around if you sit there. But you see, the Pharisees, their hypocrisy was this preoccupation with being noticed. Everything they did was to be noticed. And they didn't care about the inside because the inside no one saw. I'm reminded of the interesting discovery in the life of the Queen Mary, the the ship, the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary, at the time it was made, was one of the largest ships ever crossed the ocean in 1936. Through four decades she served, uh, even including during the World War. And eventually she was retired and anchored as a floating hotel and museum. During the conversion stage, her three massive smokestacks were taken off to be scraped down and painted. But on the dockyard, they crumbled because the three-quarter inch of steel had rusted away. And pretty much the only thing holding them together were 34 coats of paint around them. When we live our lives primarily for what people see, Jesus knows that there will be nothing left inside because we're more worried what people see externally. And so Jesus confronts. The third symptom of Pharisee that Jesus confronts with the Pharisees is contaminating people's lives with legalism. Contaminating people's lives with legalism. In verse 44, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. Now again, we might read that verse and go, we don't understand the context. What's the deal here? Well, you see, if you go back into Numbers chapter 19 in the Old Testament, uh, the law stated that if you walked over someone's grave, you would be ceremonially unclean. And so to protect one another from becoming unclean, they would whitewash tombs. And they would whitewash grave markers. So that if you were walking out in the fields or if you were walking somewhere and you saw it, you would know this is a grave. Don't walk over that because you will be unclean. So do you get the reference? Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you're graves. You're just full of death, decay. You are the ones that make others ceremonially unclean. Can you imagine the audacity of telling a religious leader, because of you, others are unclean? And Jesus tells them they act like these. They are unmarked graves. They are the source of uncleanliness. And how or why? Because they fill people's lives with legalism. Obey the letter of the law, even if it means we ignore the spirit of the law. 
Some of us might need to go back to Luke chapter 6 to be reminded of this. You see, in Luke chapter 6, when we were there a couple of months ago, the man with the withered hand is healed by Jesus. But he's healed on a Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they don't care about the man with an issue. They go, the rule is no work on a Sabbath. That's the legalism. We're not here to help. We're not here to, to comfort somebody in need. And Jesus goes, you've missed the love of God. You've missed the grace of God by focusing on the legalistic rules and missing out on relationship. Jesus sees a man with need and he responds. The Pharisees only thought in terms of what you don't do. And not doing for them was still clean. And that's not at all true. And so Christ comes and, and he restores what is lost life and he, he restores and he gives and he's like a rain to a withering religious world. And so as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and condemning them, there's this humorous little interchange. Uh, we might miss it as we're kind of skimming through and dealing with the shock of Jesus speaking like this. But one of the scribes pipes up and the scribe says, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. I'd kind of prefer to paraphrase it because I kind of feel like the guy probably actually went, hey, I hope you're not planning on insulting us like you're insulting them. And I'm pretty sure after he said that, he wished he had kept his mouth shut because Jesus goes, okay, scribes, let me deal with you for a few moments here. Yes, I've been speaking to the Pharisees with these three woes, but now I've got needless, I've got three for you as well. The symptom of hypocrisy is he addresses the scribes, and this is the fourth one. He says, imparting a burden rather than a blessing. Imparting burden rather than a blessing. Jesus replies in verse 46, you experts of the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a one finger to help them. They're loading on others that which is a burden. They would simply raise the expectations of what they expected others to do, but they would not help. And of course, we might wonder, why would anybody, why would somebody pile an expectation that is more of a burden? Well, I suppose maybe it makes us feel better about ourselves. It feel, we feel better about our own commitment because we have a false means of feeling. We feel more responsible. When we look at others and we go, well, we're more committed because they're not doing what we think they should. And the crazy thing is we don't even do what we think they should do. We don't even do the very things we're expecting of others. And so we put this burden and the scribes put these burdens on people in the complete opposite to what Jesus does. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened. Or who are heavy laden, sorry, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You get the comparison there? Jesus is saying to the scribes, You load people with burdens, my burden is light. The fifth symptom of hypocrisy that Jesus describes to the scribes is he points out their expressions of devoutness while rejecting God's message. Their expression of devoutness while rejecting 
God's message. And Jesus goes into this long tirade of the prophets. And as we read that, we need to understand the Old Testament. We need to understand the prophets came to the nation of Israel and they would call the nation to repent. And they would say much of the same that Jesus was saying. Your hearts are far from God. You're obeying in legalistic terms, but there's no love, there's no grace. Repent and come back to God. And repent and serve one another with love. And what did Israel do? They stoned the prophets. They killed them and they buried them. And so now, the Pharisees and the scribes, they might be giving lip service to the prophets. They might be pumping up their graves and their tombs. They might be making big displays. But they're not doing. They're not responding. They're not living in that way. So they have these great expressions of devoutness while rejecting God's message. And Jesus says, in the very same way, you are doing and you are executing the prophets who came before you. And then the final symptom that Jesus describes. He says to the scribes, the final symptom of hypocrisy is making it harder for people to understand God's truth. Making it harder for people to understand God's truth. Jesus says, woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key of knowledge, and you yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. The scribes and the Pharisees had added thousands of rules and regulations to the simple commands of God. They had added all these burdens. They had made it more and more difficult for people to understand the word of God. They had corrupted how people responded. They had corrupted how people understood. And here they believed they possessed the keys of knowledge. But in fact, they were the obstacle to truth. They were choosing to create a system that focused on outward behavior that could make them feel righteous. But they refused to face their true hearts, the true nature of sin. So what? Ryan, that was a slightly longer than normal tirade about some Pharisees and scribes from a couple of years ago. In fact, you've easily gone 10 minutes longer than normal if you were timing me. I hope you weren't. What do we do with that? Well, we can sit in our pew and go, well, that was a group of people some 2,000 years ago, and and the scriptures deal with them, and they were wrong, and I'm glad Christ did that, so I'm going to move on. And we might miss the message of Christ to us. We might miss the message of Christ that says it is far easier for you and I who follow Christ to become like the Pharisees, to lay burdens, to put rules, to put obstacles and stumbling stones in front of those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord. And we become blind to our own sin. We become blind to our own hypocrisy. And Jesus in this morning's passage brings it straight to the front and center. And says this is the measure. And I want to change your heart. I'm not not worried about a whole bunch of externals and a whole bunch of rules. I want to start with your heart and change there. As Casting Crown said in one of their songs, God's got to change your heart before he changes your shirt. And for too many of us, we're all concerned about what shirts people wear. 
And Jesus says, no. Come to me, those who carry burdens, those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light. Now, it might be that as you engage with the word of God, as you engage with this challenge from Christ, my prayer is that it breaks our hearts over our own hypocrisy and that we would cry out, God, only you can save me. Only your grace is sufficient. And as we receive that, to then extend it to those around us. When you look at those around you, Do you see those who are not following rules? Or do you see those in the need of grace? My prayer is the latter is your response. So let us pray together and let us cry out for grace and then to extend grace. Let's pray. Jesus, as we hear your word, we understand that we are just as easily led into that place of hypocrisy and that place of acting, that place of pretending that everything is perfect, where we try and look good. We try and hold others accountable to a set of rules that we ourselves will not even follow. We have a bunch of rituals. And Jesus, you came along and said, it's not about the doing, it's not about the rules, it's not about the rituals, it's about me. And it's about allowing me to change your heart so that everything that you do flows out of love and out of grace. And Jesus, as we look around our world, we realize that's what the world needs. It needs you living and moving and working through us. So God, for those of us in this midst who perhaps tend to find it easier to be a hypocrite and a Pharisee, God, would you break our hearts and would you replace our hearts of stone with your heart of flesh? Father, for those of us who walk on the outside, maybe because we've been hurt, I pray that we would experience again your grace and your mercy and we would cry out to you. Father, as we are transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ, oh, may you transform our world. And may we start to see that we have, we are united, sorry, in you. And by being united in you, we can walk together towards you. Jesus, come and have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And may you receive glory and honor. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.